I don't think there could be a more important time to talk about the forgiveness and the grace of God. You know, you see so many people running after things in life to find happiness. You know, they're hoping that their leader gets elected so that that can, you know, define happiness for them and their life can go on, you know, more comfort, more whatever they think that is. You know, you're in a world right now, and I think you're seeing it, where people, because of their differences, because of their convictions, because of their choices, because of their lifestyle, they start hating other people. Instead of giving the love and the grace and the forgiveness that we get from Christ to other people that may be very different or may not even care about God or in fact hate God or doesn't even think he exists or just people of different persuasions in whatever area. It's now a time to live by grace and forgiveness. Would you agree? And to show up in those settings full of his grace and his forgiveness. To actually be a light, to be a representative of justice and truth and integrity and all those things we just prayed about. And that's what this morning is about. we got to come back to the basics. But more importantly, you know, I hope you feel this morning is in, incredibly practical. It's not about understanding that God is gracious and forgiving, and he is. We'll look at the scriptures to prove it. It's about living in it to such an extent that we have an impact and an influence on a very dark culture, very secular culture, very postmodern, don't care about God, care about myself and happiness kind of culture. So that's where we're going this morning. So grab your Bibles. All the verses will be on the screen. The first point is this, it's basic, it's true, it's foundational, couldn't be more powerful. God is forgiving. And in scripture, he gives us a lot of different metaphors. I picked a few for us to focus on because I think it brings it more to a, maybe an emotional level, something that we can picture with our own minds, okay? So in Micah 7, we read, you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And then in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. There couldn't be better news than that right there because that is the need of every human being to know that their sin doesn't have to be held against them, right? So this first picture is the depths of the sea. How deep is the sea, by the way? How many of you know? Okay, how many think it's like deeper than three miles? Raise your hand. Okay, when you start a question like this, it's a good idea to raise your hand because you know I'm going somewhere. It's an easy one, okay? So keep your hand up, three miles. At least three miles. At least four miles deep. At least five miles deep. Six miles deep. Almost seven miles deep. Okay, so if you're at the end there, you're good. Almost seven miles deep. In fact, someone told me after first service that you could take... Mount Everest and throw it in the depths of the sea and you'd still have a whole nother mile to go before you'd reach the surface. That's deep. So why that metaphor? Why does God want you to picture that your sins are buried there where I guess James Cameron has gone off the coast of Guam to discover with his submarine that it's actually that deep? Because he wants you to know that your sin is taken from you. It doesn't define you. It doesn't hold on to you. It's so far separated from you. It's not who you are anymore. You're a child of God. You've been forgiven. That transgression, all right, that sin has been thrown into the depths of the sea. Or in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. So if you took out your phone, okay, I just did this the other day because I was really curious where north was, like dead on north. Because you sit in your house, you get a little turned around, you know, okay, no see me's there. They know. But where actually is north? Okay, so um, why don't you start pointing to where you think north is before I tell you. Where do you think due north is right now? Point to where you think it is. Everyone, come on, it's a game. You can move, you're awake, right? Where's north? Point. Okay, declare yourself. Some of you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to look silly. Because of your pride. Okay, where's north? 
Actually, wait, I have to get it to... Right wait a minute. That's funny. It was different than... <laughs> Am I doing this right? Come here. Okay. I line up the yeah. crosshairs. So north is right. There. Okay, if you're close, you think it's there. Actually, due north is right there. Okay. All right, so why does that matter? Why do I just pull up my phone and make a fool of myself? Okay, because, because it's, I think it's a cool way of picturing God. You think of north, you think of the standard, you know, the direction. You know, we always want to think of north, and you look at maps, right? Or if you chart your things uh, for your sailboats or whatever, <laughs> charting your course, you always got to know where north is. North is usually top of the map. East and west to the sides. Heaven, we like to think of heaven. You know, we call out, we lift our eyes to heaven. We lift our, our eyes and hearts to the maker of heaven and earth. Interesting, isn't it, that if we keep our eyes north, we'll know where our direction, our focus is. And east and west represents, I like to think of the hands of Christ, stretched out for you. Nailed to a cross horizontally. So when you think of your sin, you go, I, I can't pull those two together. I can't pull east and west together because wherever I go on the planet, there's always an east and a west and it's always separated from each other. It's always that way and that way. Not right here and it comes together. Now I should feel bad about my sin. No, he said I separated as far as the east is from the west. Like you, you can't pull it together. You can't get to the bottom of the ocean unless you're James Cameron and you have a multi-million dollar submarine. But some people like to go there to try to find their sin and, and pull it back into their life and think, oh, I'm defined that way. It's, it's who I am. And that was such a painful thing. Or I did this. Or how could God really forgive me? I mean, you don't know the depth of my sin. Oh, he knows. He just buried it. He separated from you as far as the east and the west. And then the greatest truth, I think, from Hebrews 8, 12. He says, I'll remember your sins no more. I'm so merciful toward all those iniquities, those stains, those wrongs, those transgressions, those sins, those horrible choices, all of that, however you define it, I'm going to remember them no more. Divine amnesia. Don't know how that works. Does that ever puzzle you? He says, I'm choosing not to remember it. I'm choosing to separate it from you. Think of the sea, you like the water. Okay, it's in the depths. You'll never get to it. It's there, it's gone, it's, it's forgotten. And then he posts a sign over it and it says, no fishing. <laughs> I like that. I read that somewhere. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute. He put it there, and then we want to go fishing for it. That doesn't make sense. God is forgiving. So whatever metaphor works for you, those are three awesome ones. It should remind us that Jesus paid it all on a cross, so we don't have it defining us and holding us back and making us live in shame or guilt. Amen to that, right? So God is forgiving. But then he qualifies it, too, and makes it more specific for you and I and how we live God is forgiving as we confess our sin to him and forgive others. You'll see the two verses. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To have that complete cleansing from all unrighteousness, from the transgressions and the sin and the darkness and all that, right? We have to do something. What do we have to do? According to this verse. And according to the whole gospel we've seen in scripture. We have to humble ourselves, confess, which means to agree with God, that those choices offend a holy God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Scripture also says. So I qualify as the uh, no one who's righteous. And I fall short of his glory and his perfectness, his holiness. I'm guilty as charged, as a sinner. But all I have to do to change that status before God, a guilty sinner, to become a forgiven daughter, a forgiven son, is to confess it to him. Agree that it's wrong. That's it. That's, that's all I need to do. You just confess it, but that takes humility, right? In our pride, we don't want to say, 
We're wrong. Matthew 6, 14 says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. The way you really know if you've understood and experienced the forgiveness of God is if your heart has changed about forgiving others. Let's say it again. The way you know if you've really understood the forgiveness of God of your sin is if you practice it with others. If you don't, you haven't understood it, and it hasn't changed you, you're likely not a believer yet. You may have been around the church or heard a lot about it or want to be part of the club, part of the family, and that's, that's kind of a wonderful start. But really, your life starts when you confess your sin to him, agreeing that it's wrong and offensive to God, that you're saying, Jesus, you went to the cross and you spread your arms wide to receive me and to love me and to wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Now I go out and I forgive others. Forgiveness always keeps your heart soft and your spirit humble, and that's what we need. And I'm going to get exceedingly practical right now, and we're only like five minutes in. You ready? This is going to rock you a little bit, I think. It should. Anything happen in your past that another person did to you that hurt you and that you would say, oh, that, that was wrong, 100%, that was sin. That's not right before God, what they did to me. Could have happened a month ago in your business. Could have happened in a friendship, a family member. It's clear as day. Hate to rehearse it. Don't even like to bring it up. But I can tell you right now, if you're still plagued by that and there's bitterness and anger and ill will and a grudge in your heart over that situation, that person, that hurt, and you haven't forgiven him or her, you haven't understood forgiveness. You haven't understood that you are that person towards somebody else. Maybe not that sin in that kind of situation, but many, many others that are equally as bad, right? To, to God, does he rank sins? Yes or no? Does he rank them? Are we all guilty as sinners before God, regardless of which variety pack of sin we've lived in in the past or now struggle with? We're all the same. We're all guilty. No one's righteous before God. Your sin through your life has impacted and hurt others, right? If you can't admit that, you haven't been honest with yourself and you haven't understood forgiveness from God. Because he said all of that is forgiven because of what Christ did, buried in the depths of the ocean, separated you as far as the east is from the west, and he's choosing not to remember it anymore. So you can actually be free of all that. Of the shame and the guilt and the weight and the burden. You can be free of all that if you've placed your faith in Christ and you go out as a forgiver of people. I don't understand exactly how that works conditionally. But Jesus said it, so I'm just going to hang my hat on it. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't, he won't. It's time for some of you to really come to Christ and for the first time. For some of you, for the first time. You've had such bitterness and guilt, lack of forgiveness in your heart, you haven't really received the grace that flows from God to you for all of your sin and for that and then to have the ability to forgive others. We can end the message for many of you right now because this is the most important thing for you to hear. You must Forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. That's Colossians 3.13. Paul repeated Jesus' word. You have to forgive the person as you have been forgiven. You are no better than that person. You are no worse than that person. But you can be forgiven, and you need to extend that forgiveness to them.
There literally should be no one right now that's holding bitterness, a grudge, ill will, um, you know, wanting to, what's the word, get revenge, hoping that their life goes down the, the toilet, hoping something horrible happens. You should in your heart, as bad as that was, be able to say, God, forgive them as you've forgiven me. And Lord, don't know if they know you. Don't know how they could do that if they did know you. But if they don't, I pray that they would come to a saving knowledge of you, Jesus, because I came to a saving knowledge of you, and I need you. Or maybe it's happening right as you're praying that prayer. You're finally coming to faith for real, for the first time, because you're saying the very forgiveness I'm going to ask you for, I am not going to withhold from it. I'm just going to give it out to someone else. You see how that works? We want to divide those two. I can walk with God and have his grace, forgiveness, all the blessings, but I can be angry and bitter and hateful and not forgiving? No, you can't. You don't know Christ. If you, if you live there and you walk, you've probably never known him. But you can, and it's that easy. Now, that hurts your pride. I understand that. That is a wall up to our pride. That is huge. That would, be, that would be some of you admitting you actually haven't actually come to Christ and been forgiven because you've harbored bitterness and hatred in your heart for your whole life toward that person. You can be free, though, and God wants you to be free today. God is forgiving. Praise God. He asks us to confess our sin to him, to be forgiven, and make sure we're forgiving others. God is gracious. And I want to just say, too, you know, if that's you today, you can cry out to God from your heart, and you'll have a chance to do that as we go through the service and at the end. And we'll have a prayer team up here. And I pray that that doesn't define you one more moment, one more day, any longer, and you walk out of here free, and I mean truly free. You get to choose that, though. Satan will want you to stay in that prison of your hatred. Jesus wants to free you, redeem you, and give you life. God is gracious. That's the second thing. God is gracious. And boy, what a combination that is, right? He's forgiving, but he's also gracious. Grace means the free, unmerited favor of God. How many times have you said, like, oh, man, it's just such a blessing from God. I so, so, so don't deserve it. Anyone ever say that? I so don't deserve it. Is that it? Two and a half people? I so don't deserve that. Oh, man, it's so great what happened with my daughter and my marriage and that business and with my health and that healing and that emotional healing from the Lord, whatever it is. I said, it's just, man, I just don't deserve it. Boy, you're speaking biblically when you say that. Of course you don't. What do you deserve? Separation from God and punishment for all of eternity because of your sin and offense to a holy God. You're a sinner in need of a savior. So am I. But when we are saved, then we can say, Lord, that's not because I earned it. This was a gift. It's unmerited favor. I didn't merit any of your favor, forgiveness, or grace. So God, thank you. And it builds deep appreciation in our heart for how he views me and what he's given me. And you get to own that. Like, that's you. No one can take that from you. That's the clothes you're wrapped in now. You're wrapped in that kind of grace. Free, unmerited. You're under the favor of the father who loves you as a son, as a daughter. Why would you want anything less than that? You can't get anything from the world that even come close to that. That'll meet the deepest longings in your heart. That'll heal the emotional mess. That'll get right to the core of what's troubling you the most is that kind of grace. Ephesians 1, I mean, uh, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, talking about Jesus. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of what? Jesus, full of what? Grace and truth. Other verses say, you know, Moses came to bring us the law, but Jesus, when he came, he gave the grace because we couldn't keep the law. 
He's full of grace and full of truth. The truth is, you should have kept the law. You didn't, and you can't in your own strength. The grace then comes, but I did keep the law perfectly because I am truth, but I give you the grace because you're weak and couldn't. That's powerful. What a glorious truth. These verses say that's glorious. We've seen his glory. Can you imagine walking with Jesus, seeing grace and truth emanate from his face and his hugs and his calling of the women and his authority over the storm and his casting out the demons? Can you imagine hearing truth fall from his lips on those, those hillsides, walking along the Sea of Galilee? Can you even picture it? Full of grace, full of truth. And that's still who he is to you today. Ephesians 1 and 2, a couple verses from those chapters. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the, say it with me, according to the riches of his grace. Rich, he's so full of grace. He has so much grace to give to us. And we have so much need for it, right? For by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith. So it's faith. It's, it's believing what he said through his word and what Christ proclaimed and then lived and died and resurrected to make available to you and me. We get to just embrace that and receive that in faith. It's made all the difference. We get to access the riches of all that grace. So whenever you've trespassed in your life, that's the word he uses there, the forgiveness of those trespasses. When you think of the word trespass, I usually think of like trespassers will be prosecuted, right? Stay away. No trespassers here. We trespass and when we go into, for a child of God, when we go into Satan's territory, when we go into his property, which is sin and will, is dark and it'll tear us up, we think, no, 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 I got this managed. That's not that bad. Other people are doing worse. In fact, I need it and life's really hard and I need the comfort that comes from that sin and that excess, that lack of discipline, that whatever. I just think I need, I, you convinced yourself actually the enemy's convinced you, you've deceived your own mind. But however that comes about, he wants us to not go into the wrong immoral places. He wants us home in his pasture with him as the Savior. But whenever we've wandered off, we've trespassed into dark lands, dark property, dark territory, however you want to see it. He forgives those trespasses. He brings us back to the riches of his grace as we confess those to him. That's how strong his blood is. His redemption is rich and full and deep and wide. God is gracious as we come to him humbly for help. A couple of verses that tie those truths together. He comes and gives us his grace as we come to him humbly. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's stop there for a second. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Any of you like watching the sports competitions these days? Okay, it's starting to heat up. Anyone watch the Dodger game? Okay, anyone still a little bummed? Okay, I'm going to admit that. I'm a little bummed. Two outs, an 0-2 pitch, meaning he had one more swing for a strike. Game over, right? It could have been just awesome, and then all of a sudden that pitch got hung up in the strike zone, and the guy hit it out of the park, and there happened to be a few people on base. Grand slam. Okay, we all like competition, or at least maybe I do. It's fun. I like, yeah, I like being able to, maybe I'll win, maybe I won't, maybe they'll win, maybe that's what kind of makes it interesting, right? Well, what isn't interesting is when you go through life and you're actually opposing God, or he's opposing you. When we live in pride, needing people to applaud us, to give us credit, to lift us up, to be seen as smart, successful, influential, 
kind of cool, kind of edgy, kind of the boss. When we need that stuff, we're realizing we're living in pride. Why do we need that so much? Why do you need that so much? Why do I need it so much? Why, why do we need people to just think we're, we're not just average? Can I give you a hint? We're all average in this room. We're loved deeply by God, but why, why is it so hard to, to, to think of someone might not view me as super successful in my job or what I drive or what I wear or whatever it is? You know, uh, the Instagram one, I didn't get as many likes as I was hoping. <laughs> Just, I don't know why. I think it's the greatest picture I've ever put out there. <laughs> Frankly, that's way more creative than, you know, but it's, it's the peer group. It's how do they view me? How do people at church view me? How does... What if we really got to the place where we go, how does God view me? And Paul says, why do we compare ourselves with ourselves? When we compare ourselves with ourselves, he says, we're foolish. We're fools. We should just be saying, God, how are you feeling about me? Man, I'm struggling with sin. I'm gonna, I need your grace. Glad it's there. Thank you for forgiving me. But Lord, I just want to be faithful. And we get so wrapped up with how, with how we're viewed. Our pride kicks in and we have to be better than at least some people to feel okay. We have to be skinnier to be okay. We have to be smarter. We have to live here. We have to do this. We need at least our, our circle of friends to lift us up. Now, it's not that we don't need encouragement. We're supposed to encourage one another daily as long as it's called to today so that the deceitfulness of sin does not harden our heart. That's the kind of encouragement we need, not just, man, you're killing it out there. Man, how much late weight did you lose? Man, you're the boss. You are. Whoa. Like, Yeah. Like, but seriously, now that sounds like really, like, that's just what guys say. But there's this subtle, we all kind of want to just be lifted up and viewed. And you're the best mom, you're the best dad, you're the best son, you're the best daughter, you're the best in the soccer team, you're the best. Why are we so, so into being the best? It's really about being faithful, isn't it? So when you think of your job, I, I want to frame it this way. We think so often about being successful. That's where we're all headed in life, right? We've got to get a job. We've got to get a career. We've got to be successful. A lot of people are counting on me. A lot of people are looking at me. I'm trying to figure out how successful I am to myself. Will I ever actually arrive in my own mind? I just want to let you off the hook. We're a bunch of kids in adult bodies. You'll be a lot more relaxed when you just kind of realize that. I say that jokingly, but like sometimes we take ourselves so seriously. We want to measure ourselves by what everyone else is. We know they're measuring. You know why we think they're measuring us that way? And they are. Because you're measuring them that way. That's how we know it's true. But we can give that up. And then, like, okay, you go to work. Here's the focus. Here should be my focus. Work hard. Be faithful. Have integrity. And let God reward you. What if our politicians believe that one? <laughs> work hard. Be faithful to him. Have integrity in your workplace. Let God reward you. Because some people walk out of here and think, oh, I'm against success. I'm against you making more money. You're getting a promotion. No, I'm not against any of that. But that's not your focus. And you're not living to compare yourself and have other people think you're a little more awesome than they did last week or a little more awesome than then or want them want to spend more time with you because you're cool enough for them to want to spend more time. It has nothing to do with it. It's we work hard at school. We work hard on the ball field. We work hard in our marriage. We work hard in our parenting, we work hard in our job, and we're faithful, and we ask God for strength, we have integrity, and we let God reward us. Doesn't that sound freeing? <laughs> it really is. That's the way we were called to live. And it's way more freeing than fear, comparison, pride, ego.
disappointment, heartache, anxiety. Doesn't it just sound a lot easier? God is gracious as we come to him humbly for help. But the proud, he says he'll oppose. The most foolish thing we should do or could ever do is to let pride, when it's exposed in our life, to exist and to stay. We need to just deal with it, confess it to God, and say, Lord, help me to be humble. And that's what we do every day. That's what Hebrews 4.16 invites us to. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Only the humble ask for help. It's like asking for directions. Why wouldn't we? Well, because I should know. That will injure me <laughs> before someone else or before my own mind that I had to ask someone for help. Okay, again, pride. But what if we say, God, of course I need your help. You're God and you're limitless. You have all power, all grace, wisdom, everything I need today. You have it already. You have it. I can ask you for it or I can pretend I have it. No, I don't got it. <laughs> That's very freeing too. Lord, help me today as I go into this workplace, this situation. Help me today as I head back to school and I'm facing those students or that teacher or that coach or just my classes, load, the load of my classes. Lord, I need help. My confidence is in myself, is in God, not myself. Better say that again, huh? <laughs> my confidence is in God. It's not in myself. Is your confidence in God? Are you facing the situations in your life confident in who he is and that his plan can't be thwarted and he's guiding you and he's a shepherd who hasn't lost track. He knows the details far better than you know the details. He's actually got them all in his hands. He'll walk you through. You just have to work hard, be faithful, have integrity, and you let God reward you. But go to his throne every day and ask for the help that you need. Could be prayers like, Lord, I need more humility. Lord, I need more purity. Lord, I need love for people. I tend to discard. I need more compassion. Jesus, I need your discipline. Lord, give me grace for others as you give it to me. I need more physical strength. Maybe you're battling something physically. I need more faith. I need more victory over temptation. What is your need today? Go today. Go multiple times. The throne is always open. <laughs> and he reigns there. And he wants you just to come and declare your need. It's like that runner in Hebrews chapter 12. He can't run real well if sin is entangling him, right? You know those verses. We're supposed to run the race of faith that God has put out before us. But we got we to get rid of the entanglements, the thing that just tie our feet up. You can't run when you have stuff hanging all over you. That would be really foolish. Runners that are running a race, man, they barely have anything on her. It's like skin tight and it's really light. And awesome light shoes. And they're ready to run. They wouldn't want to have something chained to their feet. Sin as an entanglement holds us back, but we're supposed to run with great freedom and increasingly with great, greater empowerment from the Holy Spirit. Then we can be about this calling to run the race of faith and to build this church. That's why we're here, guys. If you're saved and you know Christ, why did he leave you here? Why are you still breathing this moment? Why do you still have life? Why do you still have a career and a, a team to be on and a neighbors to love and a family to attend to? Why? Because he wants you to run the race and build a kingdom in that circle, in those influences. And that's our third point. God gives us grace to build his church. It all really was pointing to that, right? We need his grace and his forgiveness as we confess our sin and, and forgive others. We need his grace when we come to him each day humbly. He gives it to us so that we can be about building his church. If not, what are you building? If you're not building his church, what would you be building? Ever thought of it that way? 
You're not building Christ's body up and building his church and extending his grace. What are you building? What are you building? Building the best possible career I could ever think of building. The best nest egg, the best retirement, the best insurance, the best of the best because I want the best comfort and the most in the... What are you building? What am I truly building? What am I aiming at? What's the goal? What's, what's, the, what's the point of it all? It's to build his kingdom, isn't it? Shouldn't it be? 2 Corinthians 9.8. Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So the one that has all the grace, that because of his grace and forgiveness has given you life and freedom and your sins, remember, in the depths of the ocean, as far as the east is from the west, you're completely free, completely new. You have a new heart. You can love others that way. He wants you to be about the kingdom now. He does not want you to say, hey, thanks God for rescuing me. Now I'm going to live for self. I'm going to live for my American dream, my version of success, my version of com- my v- vision. What's the word I was looking for? Um, my vision, my whatever, of my future the way I want it, my version. No, it's his version. God, forgive me. Can you say that? Forgive me. I'm, man, I got this locked in and it's about me and my future and how it's going to affect me and it's not about your glory and your kingdom. Who am I pouring my life into? Who am I serving? Like legitimately, sacrificially serving for your kingdom. If you want all grace to abound in your life, you want it to overflow at all times so you can do all kinds of good works in all of its forms. You just tell God that. You say, you know what, Lord? I've lived enough for myself. I've made a, man, I, I, I've made a life of living for self. I need to be others-centered. And I think that's the good works he's talking about. If I had to kind of give a synonym to that, I would say others-centered caring. Others-centered caring. Not a flash in the pan, not a big check for something, not a one-time deal. Your life is actually defined in others-centered caring. You're expressing the love and sacrifice of Christ, all of his grace and forgiveness that he's poured on you. You've released people in your own heart. You've released yourself from any bitterness and anger. And you're going out with an others-centered focus to care for them. You know that verse that says, love others as you love yourself, right? You know that verse? This hit me this morning. If I'm loving others the way I love myself, that would sound like, well, wait, you're, you're allowed to love yourself? You're only allowed to love yourself if you love other people the way you love yourself. Well, I got up and I wanted to have that blueberry bran muffin with a little melted butter and my coffee just the way I liked it. Do I care about whether other people eat? Well, I got up thinking about, okay, new shirt. And some of you are like, hey, good try, new shirt. I got that. I, you know, so I got a new shirt and like, okay, I'm thinking about my clothes and maybe I should get a new shirt once in a while. I'm sure people are bored with every plaid shirt I've ever worn and ever exists. Okay. <laughs> Do I care about what other people are wearing and those that don't have clothes? I'm so concerned about my future, that raise, my bills, my car, that RV, the next weekend we're away, the next vacation. Do I care about other people's car and free time and comfort? Do they ever have a vacation? Could they use one? Isn't that weird how we don't think like that? We think, no, I take care of myself because I have a lot of needs. God wouldn't want me to neglect myself. How could I ever help anyone? I'm not helping myself. But we end up spending 99.9999999999999% all here. When are we going to get to the day 
where we'd say, well, Lord, thank you. You're giving me, you bless me and don't deserve it. I know that it's all by grace, but I'm going to extend it. Man, I got to extend it. I'm becoming that swamp that doesn't have that outlet. It's flowing in, but it's becoming stagnant and smelly and green and slimy. Lord, change my heart. I want to build your church. I want to go make a difference for Christ. I'm called to be part of his kingdom and extend his kingdom. I think I've been really self-focused, Lord. Forgive me. I want to commit myself to your kingdom and seeing Christ lifted up. We're going to close with this verse because Paul reiterates this in Ephesians 4. But grace, there it is again, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Why do you still have breath in your lungs this day? Because he wants you to build up the body of Christ, and you can. He wants you to be more pumped about that than anything else in your life. Period. End of story. No challengers. Nothing even close to second place. I'm about the kingdom. Can you say that? Like, Lord, help me to be about the kingdom. I have to be about the kingdom. I have to be about someone who's broken, who needs compassion. I have to reach out in love with the grace you keep giving me. You said my sin's buried there in the depths of the ocean. You don't hold it against me. Why don't I give that to others and tell them that God's forgiveness is like that? Why do I withhold that? What am I fearful of? Why am I so inward and prideful and scared? Open my heart and my life, Lord. You pray that kind of prayer? Do you think God will? Yes, he will. And love will flow from you. And it'll show up, like we said, in other Others-centered caring. You will care about their career, care about their divorce they're going through, care about their son who has this issue, care about what's going on in their back lawn because their grass is dying and you know something. You care because you care about your own grass, but you don't care less about their grass. You're caring. You love yourself, but you love them like you're loving yourself. You're actually starting to spin out your energy, your skills, your gifts, whether you feel like you have the gift of leadership or evangelism, or you see these ones listed here, are to equip the saints so that you and I can all do the work of extending the kingdom. It's not just for an elder or pastor or, you know, a shepherd teacher. It's for us to use our gifts to encourage you guys to use your gifts. So get out there and use the service gifts that you have. Get out there and use the leadership gifts, the gift of evangelism, the gift of mercy, the gift of giving. Some of you make a ton of money and you, you somehow thought that maybe that was all for you. The gift of of um, giving usually has a gift of getting attached to it, I've noticed, with some people. I don't know what you give, by the way. Some people think maybe I would. I have no idea what you give, and that's not the point. But I'm just saying some people, they miss the whole fact that I don't know everything I kind of do. God seems to honor it with, with more. Praise God. Just use it for his kingdom. Use it for his glory. Then that gift of giving is used to extend the kingdom. Use what God's given you, your time, your talent, your treasure. Use what God's given you, your time, your talent, your treasure for the king of kings to extend his kingdom. And he will show you the ways to do that. One key way is just to commit to some ministry somewhere in the life of the church. Just somewhere, just say, you know what? I think I love cooking. I think I love junior hires or I, I just know that ministries. I'm going to call Mondo and say, I will cook for you every other, two, every other Wednesday night. I'm throwing down. What if you did something like that? You made a commitment, you said, I love this, or I'm going to show up and help disciple a, a group of you know, students or whatever because I'm familiar with the scriptures. I know enough to help some high schoolers. I'm going to show up and help our traffic, our traffic um, and parking team. 
I'm going to help in this area of ministry. I'm going to help with this forever found ministry. I'm going to dedicate and commit myself to extend the kingdom with some of my time, talent, and treasure because I understand that grace was given to me at great cost and I want it to flow through me. I don't want it to get stuck in me. I think that's enough for today. What do you think? Now we got to live it though. This is just the beginning. Now we go live this. This is where it gets fun. This excitement. This is when fruit starts to get born in the life of his people. So we're going to pray, and you have an opportunity as we're worshiping right now and as we're praying. Just, I could have ticked some of you off. That's okay. Just talk to God about it, though, okay? <laughs> you can come talk to me if you want. But hopefully I stirred some of you up. Hopefully you're just, you're dealing with stuff, and maybe you have to recalibrate. Maybe you need to confess to God and receive that cleansing and that grace and forgiveness. Maybe you don't know Jesus is your Savior, and today was the day for you to come and to hear how unmerited that grace is. It comes to you as a gift, and he wants you to be free. So come and pray with the prayer team on either side of the room uh, to receive Christ. But let's have a prayer now, and then we're going to worship, and we're going to have our giving as well. Thank you, Lord, for these incredibly deep foundational truths about who you are What you've lavished on us, this amazing grace that is beyond description, beyond really understanding, but it's hit us again today, Lord, at a heart level. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness of my sin. If there's someone on your heart that you haven't forgiven, God, would you give us grace? the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to realize the very forgiveness that I've received should cleanse me, free me, and then free me to forgive others. May we act on that this day, Lord, radically. May there not be one person that walks out of here not being truly saved because they've withheld in anger and hatred, in their hurt, this forgiveness that you demand of us, you command us to give to others. That really is the evidence that our heart's been changed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you remove all shame and guilt and you remove that burden as we pray like that. Whatever's on your heart to him, just cry out, pour it out before him. Come pray with the prayer team. Get on your knees. Pray with someone you're sitting next to. Worship from your guts. Give sacrificially. Whatever it is, Lord, your, you know, your response to the Lord, just do that. Father, all of this for your glory. Receive it from our hearts.